Well, good morning. Today we're in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Thankful that I can be with you here to worship and to open up God's Word. I want to start by reading the passage and then by praying for us. We'll start at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Hear what Holy Scripture says. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you that you have made us your servants. Thank you that you have shone into our hearts to show the glorious gospel of Jesus by faith to see who your son Jesus Christ really is. Thank you that this is a treasure. And thank you that you've given such a treasure of the gospel to Jars of clay like us. Lord, our world is in a desperate need of your glorious power. And in your peculiar wisdom, you've chosen people like us to be able to be the vessels that display such great power. God, today would you help us to better understand how we can fulfill and embrace this identity as jars of clay so that those near to us and around us would see how great your power really is. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been learning a lot about myself um, in the past years and months. The more I live with myself, the more I learn about myself. And uh, when I'm not allowed or to go out and do the things I'd normally do, I'm learning a lot more about myself. And uh, I know this is pretty obvious to people who know me, but I'm a very emotional person and I'm a very expressive person. Even behind a mask, I wear everything on my sleeves. Uh, and I'm starting to realize that my young son is like this too. 
He's very emotionally sensitive, sensitive to people around him. He's like a sponge. He, he easily absorbs everyone else's emotional condition and feels that himself and doesn't know what, how to do with it. And nowadays, I'm noticing in myself, within the ongoing challenges that our society and culture is facing, the emotions that I am most prone to, especially in the, the white noise of uh, what feels like constant news that's always changing is very frequently um, causing me to uh, grumble and complain and justify my grumbling and complaining. Grumbling and complaining kind of feels like fast food. It's great at first, but then it has a kind of, of, of a, sits really heavy in you and, and doesn't feel great later. In my spare time, I've been just reading about church history recently, and I've been really struck in this the historian chronicling the path of the early church. And one of the things that was really striking to me was he charted the spread of Christianity following where individual people went out from Jerusalem into the rest of the Roman Empire. And he made a point in an effort to show that while there were a few key pillars that we read about in the book of Acts who were critical to the spread of Christianity, most of the evangelistic efforts that happened didn't happen through a few pillars, but through a multitude of ordinary people. And in the first century Roman Empire, one of the most compelling, the compelling testimony of these multitude of ordinary people that radically transformed the world upside down and by God's power changed an empire was the joy that everyday individual people had. I'm sure you can look around and see how our world is in desperate need of power, God's power right now to change things. What's the type of person that God uses to show his great power in this world? That's what today's passage is about. And I want to prove to you that God can use ordinary people like you to turn our world upside down. Today I want to prove to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. That God uses faithful yet fragile people to show his great power. And that he can use you. So this is kind of the trajectory of where we're going. We want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 and understand what does it mean to be a faithful person. And what does it mean to embrace the reality that we are fragile people. So let's start by understanding what it means to be a faithful person. Verse 7 is really going to focus our time together. Verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. I want to persuade you that faithful people are those type of people who treasure the gospel. Do you treasure the gospel? Paul's treasure that he's referring to is his duty to share the message of Jesus as a representative of Jesus. And now as an apostle, Paul was a champion 
of the gospel in the first century, but the spread of the message of Jesus didn't primarily happen through pillars like Paul and Peter and John and others. It was primarily through everyday, ordinary people going about their daily lives. So Paul understood that he was a representative for Jesus Christ, but every Christian must understand that they each are also representatives for Jesus Christ in their words and in their lifestyle. Wherever you go, whether you're on another Zoom call again, or you're in your Google Classroom with your mic off and your video on and your teacher just wants to know if there's a living soul around, wherever you are, whoever you're with, you are a representative of Jesus. Faithful people treasure the gospel. And it's the people who treasure the gospel and have experienced its riches who want to be the people to share, uh, to see others share in those riches as well. Faithful people who treasure the gospel are those people who can show God's great power. I want to show you how and why Paul treasures it so much and then ask you whether you truly treasure the gospel for what it is. We can do that by looking back a little bit in our context of the, of the Second Corinthians. So look at, with me at chapter 3, verse 7. And we'll see how, what Paul understood about his role as representative for Jesus. Verse 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul understood that his sufficiency, his competence to be a representative for Jesus wasn't from himself, but it was from God and from the Spirit that gives life. Let's keep going, verse 7. He's making a contrast now between the old covenant, the Ten Commandments, and the new covenant and the gospel of Christ. Verse 7, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, the Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? You see how he treasures the gospel? How he sees the glory and the awe that it produces when we understand what it does? Verse 9, for if the glory in the ministry of condemnation, if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. In this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. Paul sees surpassing glory in the gospel of Christ. It's awe, it's wonderful. Verse 11, for if what was being brought to an end came with such glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Paul understands here two things that I want to kind of summarize that shows how much he treasures the gospel. And it's the ministry of what the gospel does, the ministry, the service, the, 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 the result. Paul here describes the ministry of the gospel as a glorious ministry of righteousness. And he understands it as the liberating ministry of the Holy Spirit. And because of these two ministries of the gospel, Paul treasures it greatly. Let's understand these a little more. 
The gospel is a ministry of righteousness. Now, if you notice here, Paul talked about the old covenant. A covenant is an agreement of terms that defines how a person relates to God. Only people who are righteous are qualified to relate and know God. And righteousness is doing what is morally right before God. In the Old Covenant, righteousness is defined for us in the summary of the law through the Ten Commandments. Jesus further summarized the first five as loving God and the second five as loving our neighbors. If one kept the commandments without blemish, you would be righteous in God's eyes. But if anyone falls short in even one place in the commandments, you would be condemned. But the best the Ten Commandments could only do was show us that no one can keep the Ten Commandments. The best the Ten Commandments could only do is show all of us that none of us are actually righteous. That means that in of ourselves, and me too, there's no good thing that we can do to know God and be right before him. None of us are able to measure up to God's righteous qualifications. Do you know that intellectually, but do you also feel that burden of falling short? Do you feel the burden that you can't measure up? Not only in relationship with God, but maybe you feel that in relationship with others. Maybe you feel that about your parents, no matter how many grades you have, um, no matter how big your salary is, no matter how healthy your marriage is, there's, it seems just like there's nothing I can do to measure up. Maybe you feel that in your job, no matter how much uh, profit my uh, department yields, um, no matter how many sales we make, no matter how many new clients we bring in, my boss just keeps looking down at me. Maybe you feel that in a relationship with uh, a loved one. Maybe you feel that uniquely in your relationship with God. I just, I, I always fall short. I keep going to the same sin. It seems like I can't actually measure up. Do you feel the burden and the weight of this? It is burdensome. But the gospel is such an, a remarkable treasure because the ministry of righteousness relieves us of this burden in a way that nothing else you could ever seek for in this world could. No self-help book. No therapist. Nothing can relieve you in the way that the ministry of righteousness and the gospel can. See, the old covenant shows us that we can't measure up, but Christ himself, in the life he lived, perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law on your behalf. The Old Covenant says that the wages of sin is death. It's a ministry of condemnation, 2 Corinthians says. And when Jesus died on the cross, he suffered your condemnation on your behalf. So now... This is the treasure of the gospel. In Christ, the demands of righteousness have been fulfilled by him without blemish. 
the condemnation that we deserve has been served at the cross. So, those who believe in Christ, they are freed of their condemnation, filled with Christ's righteousness. There's nothing more you can do to earn God's favor. There's nothing less that you can do that you can lose it. No matter how much you can't please your parents or how much you can't please your spouse or how much you can't measure up to your boss, you are secured in Christ. Do you know the treasure of this gospel? Therefore, Romans 5 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Moreover, we rejoice in our sufferings. See, this is what the ministry of righteousness does. This is the treasure of the ministry of righteousness that the world desperately needs and that Christians can portray in their lifestyle. Peace and joy because I'm justified by faith. Do you have that treasure? It's a ministry of righteousness and the gospel is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It goes on to say also that the Holy Spirit removes the veil that's over our eyes so that we can actually see God for who he really is. Look at verse 15 of chapter 3 with me. It says, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Verse 17. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image of glory from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the spirit. See, if we're up to us alone, we would not be able to see God. We would not have joy. We would not have peace we would be spiritually blind and cold-hearted. And I know even when I'm not abiding in the Lord and I'm not relying on him through his word and his prayer, that can be my default position. Just so nearsighted that I'm only concerned about my own problems. So cold-hearted that I don't want to show love to other people because I only want to focus on myself. Can you feel like that too? But this is what the Holy Spirit does. While we can be a people who are distracted and distant and self-oriented, the Holy Spirit liberates us so that we can be others-oriented and not cold and indifferent, but warm and kind and gentle and loving. See, when we are found righteous by faith in Christ, we are also given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit opens up our eyes so that we can see, to see that we are really needy as we are, to see that God is glorious as he really is. And the more we behold the greatness and the goodness of God in Christ, the more we will be changed to be like him, not spiritually blind or dull or deaf or self-oriented, but we will be transformed into the image and glory of Christ, who himself was others-oriented and filled and marked with love, We need this vitality. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is able to do it. Do you feel like you are able to be warm towards others? Do you feel like you are others-focused, that you're willing to sacrifice your own time, your own pleasures, your own priorities, and in love 
with joy serve the needs of others. This is what the gospel is able to do. It's a ministry of righteousness that satisfies us with peace and joy because we're justified by faith. It is a life-giving ministry that revitalizes because the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and warms our hearts to focus on others and not ourselves. Do you treasure this? Faithful people treasure the gospel, and faithful people are the ones that God uses to show his great power to the world. But I think many of us, um, we don't enjoy the true treasure of the gospel. Jenny and I have been married going on eight years now. Um, This Christmas, a spur-of-the-moment decision when we had her parents over for Christmas dinner, first time I made a turkey, it went off really well, I will do it again. Uh, And a spur-of-the-moment decision I was just like, let's pull out our china. We've been married eight years now. Our china has been in the factory package ceiling since it was given to us on our wedding day. It had been sitting in our cupboard. And I, we opened it up again. It was like, oh yeah, this is what this looks like. Wow, this is real silver. This is very pretty. And our in-laws were just like, wow, you, you gave us china. We were eating on china. For a long time, though it was exceptionally valuable and and, and precious materials, functionally, it wasn't very useful to us. And I think that's a lot of how a lot of us can treat the gospel. We've been given this treasure that is world changing and heart transforming, but it just stays stored away in the manufacturer's packaging. We know that it's valuable. It certainly seems very fashionable, but what function does it actually have in my daily life? The gospel is not fashionable dinnerware to be kept away and stored in the cabinet for years. Do you, day by day, enact your faith in the treasure of Christ? Do you know the peace that comes in Christ when life gets hard and overwhelming? Do you know the freedom that comes when things are stressful and you'd rather focus on yourself and not others? Many of us, I think, presume on our faith. But when life is hardest, do you practice it? When the worrying of measuring up is mounting up, Believe that you are justified by faith in Christ and you can experience peace with God. When the demands on others are swelling up and you'd rather shrink away, lift your eyes up to the cross and what Christ has done for you and the love that he gave for you in bleeding for you. And maybe you can like get off your chair to show some kindness to others as well. And maybe I can too. God uses faithful people to show his power. Faithful people are motivated to tell others about the treasure of Christ and to serve others with love because they know the treasure of the gospel and they want others to enjoy its riches too. God can use you. In Christ, you can be a source of hope for the friend 
who feels like no one understands him. For the coworker who's very clearly always anxious about every news report that comes out. And for your kids who just don't want to spend another moment in front of the screen. God's not looking for stainless steel people who can endure through everything. He's not looking for diamond-studded people who can outshine everyone. He's looking for faithful people who treasure the gospel, and, and he's looking for fragile people who accept and embrace their weaknesses. God uses faithful, yet fragile, people to show his great power. Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Jars of clay. That's what the great apostle Paul thought of himself. There's a couple places in Paul's letters where he refers to jars of clay. In Romans chapter 9 and 2 2 Timothy chapter 2. And these jars of clay uh, in ancient homes, in Paul's context, were likely referring to the different cutlery that would have been used uh, at mealtime or around, or, or, or like vessels around the house. What those vessels and cutlery were made for, or what, excuse me, what those vessels and cutlery were made for determines, I messed up the, what I was saying again. Let me try once more. What they were made with determined what they were made for. You wouldn't use wood plates or clay plates to eat your dinner because the wood or the clay might easily get into the food. You'd use something a little more sturdy like like metal or but you would use something like clay to maybe like hold excrement to store garbage. That's probably what Paul has most clearly in mind here. He's Describing himself as a jar of clay. Something cheap, something fragile, something not worthy to hold something valuable like a treasure. This seems coming backwards, does it? This, this doesn't really fit. You're not supposed to put something valuable in something cheap. Pearls don't go in a Ziploc bag. Uh, Your laptop, mm, I wouldn't store it in a cardboard box. Yet Paul willingly flaunts his weaknesses. Let me actually show you how weak and fragile Paul recognizes that he is. Look at verse 8 of chapter 4 and then verse 9 and 10. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our body. I want to show you one more place. Turn your page over to the left to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 8, he's willing to be open about how fragile he is. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. 
For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely on not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Man, that's some pretty remarkable honesty, eh? How would you feel if your greatest fears or your deepest flaws were broadcasted for uh, everyone in your small group to know or every, every, all of your kids to see or everyone in your workplace or classroom? Paul willingly broadcasts all of his blemishes. See, some of us don't want to be thought of as fragile. We want to be known as stainless steel. The person who can get to work and endure through anything. Other of us want to be seen as diamond studded. The person who's ready to be seen and outshines everyone. And at times, I can, be want, I can want to be both of those as well. Where do you fit in? How do you want others to perceive you? Both of these types of person do, though, have the same thing in common. Though they want to be the person who's seen above everyone or endures through anything. Both of these people have the same common problem. They can't be honest with their actual shortcomings. There were people like this in Corinth. Pretentious people who just wanted to be seen, flaunting the reputation. Look at these recommendations that we have. We're the type of leaders that we are needed to be. Paul's leadership is invaluable. And they're trying to overthrow and subvert him. They're trying to gain influence by flaunting how prominent they were. But in God's kingdom, influence is inverted. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Those who are first will be last, and the last are first. See, the person who treasures the gospel doesn't feel like they need to create this personal brand or this persona that masks their blemishes. They don't feel they don't they don't feel like they need to be stainless steel. They can admit I get crushed. I get persecuted. I get afflicted. They don't need to be stainless steel. They don't need to be diamond studded. It's like, yeah, I'm a jar of clay. I tire. I worry. I fear. I despair. People who treasure the gospel don't need to present themselves like this. They're fine being known as brittle, being seen as jars of clay because they know that their dignity is not defined by their successes or their failures. They know their self-worth is secured in God's unfailing and unfading love for them in the gospel. They know that the gospel is a ministry of righteousness and they have peace with God. They know that the gospel is a ministry of the Holy Spirit and their eyes have been opened and they don't need to focus on themselves and how they look. They can focus on others. How would your life be different if you enacted your faith in the gospel and experienced this life-giving, liberating power? God uses faithful yet fragile people to show his great power. 
he can use you. I hope in trying to persuade you that these are the type of people God uses. I hope that you feel a sense of relief and hope. Hope that there is real sense of fulfillment and satisfaction that I can have in this life in the simple message of Jesus and that I don't need to go look for it or earn it myself. Relief, relief that God wants to make a difference through me but I don't need to be some grand person. And, and if we look around us, it's pretty obvious our world is in great need of God's great power. Do you know what God can do through you? Do you know how desperate our world needs joyful Christians who can live at peace and show that lifestyle and share that message to others? Our neighbors desperately need it and they know they need it. I read a book by a best-selling self-help author. His name is Mark Manson. And he knows that everyone knows how in need our world is right now. Listen to this quote about what this non-Christian best-selling self-help author says about our world. It'll be on the screen. He says, We live in a time, an interesting time, in that materially, things are arguably better than they have ever been before. Yet, we all seem to be losing our minds thinking the world is one giant toilet ready to, about to be flushed. An irrational sense of hopelessness is spreading across the rich, developed world. It's the paradox of progress. The better things get, the more anxious and desperate we all seem to feel. Basically, we are the safest and most prosperous humans in the history of the world yet we are feeling more hopeless than ever before. The better things get, the more we seem to despair. Our world needs the surpassing power of God. Simple people who know the peace of God. Simple people who experience the life of the Spirit. God uses faithful yet fragile people to show his great power. I want to leave you with four words that you can hold on to and know that this is the way that God wants to show his great power through you. God's great power through you can revitalize others in their weariness. They can have life when you share the news of Christ to them. God's great power can liberate others. It can free them from having to focus on their self and their reputation and feeling so crushed that they're not measuring up to know that they are justified and accepted in the love of Christ. God's great power can transform. It can change our hearts so that we're not cold-hearted and distant, but that we can love and engage with others and serve with others in the way that Christ did. God's power through you can encourage others. 
those who are despairing, those who have no hope, can see that there is a reason to endure. This is what God can do through you. Revitalize, liberate, transform, and encourage in the power of the gospel. God uses faithful people who treasure the gospel and fragile people who accept their weaknesses to show his great power. Do you want to be used of the Lord? Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to see who we really are in light of your holiness and your greatness. And God, I recognize that in my own life, I can be so focused on self and so caught up in self rather than being so in awe of you and your greatness. Father, I pray you'd forgive us. Forgive us, Lord God, for knowing that we can have peace, yet not turning to you and choosing to worry and grumble and complain. God, I pray that you would forgive us for not turning towards you in prayer and casting our anxieties on you. God, I pray that you would forgive us for forgetting that you care about us. God, I pray that you would forgive us for being insulated from the world and forgetting the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would equip us with faith, knowing that in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and through the ministry of righteousness, as we treasure the gospel, you can use fragile people like us to show your great power. Do that in our homes. Do that in this church. Do that in this city for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.